Hello everybody and welcome to the next episode of Science in Dance podcast. This is episode 11. We're really rattling through them during lockdown and quarantine. So thanks for joining us again. Today I'm joined by Claire Farmer. Claire is a lecturer in dance science and a freelance strength and conditioning coach alongside teaching. Claire also continues to train in dance and circus skills and is therefore very interested in applied practice, taking the current research and applying it to the training of dancers and circus artists. She's also particularly interested in researching upper body strength in dancers and hopes to encourage more women to participate in strength training. And not only to add to that, I think it's um, crucial that we add more female participation to being a strength and conditioning coach as well. So I'm really pleased to have um, Claire on the episode today. As ever, please leave your comments and feedback below the episode and let us know what you think and enjoy. Hi, Claire. Thanks very much for jumping on this podcast with me. It's great to have you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I feel like some of these podcasts with people that I do at the moment are kind of long overdue. So um, it's, it's, it's a good opportunity, especially in lockdown, for us to do this sort of thing. But um, to begin with, just for, I, I know you and I wouldn't know what you do, but for those listening who are unfamiliar with the depths of the dance science world, um, would you mind giving us a bit, bit of brief background on where you started in dance and uh, what you do and what you're up to at the moment? Sure, so um, might be quite a long story, but I started like most people, five years old, in my village hall doing ballet, modern and jazz. Didn't really like tap at the time, so I didn't do that. (laughs) Um, So I did that until I was about 13, dropped out for a little bit, went back and did it at college then went on to university and studied dance. I went to Roehampton University, um, where I now actually lecture, which is a little bit odd, <laughs> going back to where I, I learned to dance. Um, I had a little hiatus from dance due to, I graduated into the middle of the recession, so there wasn't much work going around. Um, so I had a little hiatus and worked in merchandising for a bit and then quit my job to go and do the MSc Dance Science at Trinity Laban. Um, and then from there started work, well, can't speak, started working at um, the National Institute of Dance Medicine and Science um, as maternity cover for Helen Laws, right in the middle of my master's. Um, and then it's kind of gone on from there. So I started lecturing at Roehampton University. Um, during my master's, I became really interested in strength. So I trained as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and I now also lecture at Middlesex University. So both of my lecturing roles are in dance science. And then I also do strength and conditioning freelance work as well. And I dabble a little bit in circus as well. <laughs> so quite a lot of information, but I have many, what's the phrase, many irons in many fires. <laughs> that's, then I, I think that's um, the way it's got to be these days, isn't it? Especially in the world of uh, S&C, you know, you, we can't seem to get by without a different things going on and maybe a side hustle here and a, and a thing going on there so I, I relate to that I mean Middlesex Uni's got quite a, a steeped history in strength and conditioning I think hasn't it it's there's this there used to be quite a this well it certainly is a big S&C course there as well if I'm not mistaken yeah there is um up by the Saracens mm-hmm. so they're part of the campuses up there and they um they have a student strength and conditioning conference every year so there's a lot going on there I haven't as yet had chance to head up there and chat with them. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of SNC there. And now I'm trying to put more SNC 
into the dancers course as well so I'm doing conditioning classes with them um which is a shame we were just getting cracking with that when lockdown happened so so to, to kind of gel the, the link connect the dots between myself and and you um through, obviously I've had been to Nidham's events and I Adams and, and things like that and that's where I, I know you from um but could you kind of sort of well delve into what your MSc was about and and some research aspects that you did there was it was it was yours a, a taught MSc in dance science or was it a research-based one did you have to complete a thesis for that yes so at Trinity Lab I did it part-time so I did mine over two years so the majority of my first year was taught and then I came back did another I think three months of taught content and then we had the final five to six months on our research project. So that's independent research with your supervisors. Um, and my research was focused on upper body strength. So something that when I went and looked at the research, there was one paper on upper body strength in dance and it was in male ballet dancers. Um, so that really struck me as an area that needed a bit more research with choreography changing more need for the upper body. Um, so I started looking at muscle activation in the upper body during um, weight-bearing movements, so mainly focused on contemporary, mm -hmm. so where you have to hold your own weight in your um, hand, your shoulder girdle, etc. During floor movements, I looked at muscle activation with EMG, um, which if anyone doesn't know what that is, you stick uh, electrodes onto the muscle belly and it tells you the muscle activation, the electrical impulses going on in your muscles while you're moving, which is really interesting. Um, and actually my research on that has carried on since then. I'm really interested in upper body strength and not just in men, in women as well. It's quite appropriate, isn't it? Because as choreography has changed over the last sort of 15, 20 years, we do see women lifting women, women lifting men as well, as just the floor-based stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of what your EMG and research spits out and in where, where it's taken you to now um is there scope for using that sim using similar tactics in in other things and not just contemporary i mean what, what are the other applications of it yeah i mean the way i want to do my research i'm really interested as a strength and condition coach in doing research that can be applied to the dancers and can be replicated by other coaches other people in different dance genres so for me, my main knowledge is in contemporary and ballet. So I feel it wouldn't be um, very in-depth and reliable research as such if I tried to research, say, hip hop, because I don't know as much about that dance genre. So what I want to do is probably do my research in contemporary and ballet, and then I would probably replicate it in circus, particular circus skills as well. But I want somebody in another dance genre to be able to take that and go, right, okay, how does that apply to the movements we do in this dance genre as well? So, so I'm trying to develop quite a strong methodology there as well. Yeah. That's, that's obviously, because um, I mean, there's a lot of, as you say, there's a lot of research out there on and speaking to other coaches and other, other dance scientists as well. A lot of it is cross-sectional. A lot of it is observational. So is there a... Um, potential for this to turn into training studies and have some outcome measures from from this as well is the you know should we as snc coaches and even as dance teachers be putting 
more upper body conditioning into our weekly routines for contemporary dancers, ballet dancers, young and old, doesn't matter. I mean, it's difficult because actually, if you look at the small amount of research there is now, it says that basically upper body strength and endurance in dancers is no better than a non-dancer. And therefore we should include strength training. But that's all we know about it. So anecdotally, I'd say, yes, we should, but we need the research to say, actually, is there more lifting going on in choreography now than there was? Are they strong enough to be doing that? And also we know muscular endurance is used a lot more in a lot of what we do in um, dance choreography. So do they have enough endurance to be able to do that many lifts in the show or whatever? So anecdotally, anecdotally rather, um, yes, but we need more research into it. The, the, the research questions are there really, it's just a case of mm. taking it on board. Um, and tell me about the, the aspect you said. You said that the specific aspects of circus. So, where are your, where do your, where have your interest in circus come from here? Because I, I imagine that that body of research is not that. I mean, I don't know because it's not my area of expertise. But g gymnastics research is is fairly, it's up and coming, it's ongoing. But circus specific research is that highly populated? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really exciting because there are definitely more people getting behind circus research now. Um, so if you think dance science is quite young, at roughly 30 years or so, um, circus is a little bit newer, but there's definitely things going on there which are really exciting. So they've got some um, current research that's just come out on injuries in circus. Um, and if you think there's a lot of different dance genres, there are a lot of different disciplines in circus, a lot. So you've got all those variants between different disciplines as well. Um, and there's a really interesting study um, last year, biomechanical analysis of um, inverted uh, straddle invert onto an aerial hoop, which is, I just find, I love it. It's fascinating. 3D motion capture of somebody getting onto their apparatus, which is fascinating. So it's definitely more but not as much even as dance science at the moment, I don't mm. think. Because when people think circus, they think probably the only circus generally, this is a huge generalization, they just think Cirque du Soleil. And you'd <laughs> imagine that there's a huge scope for research coming out from them. But then there are also lots of other asides to circus skills that people train in, not just to be in the circus, but also to enhance their dance employability as well if that makes sense so you know quite a lot of dancers do turn to learning aerial skills as well don't mm -hmm. they you know silks hoops the variety and I think if you can go and do those things it requires a certain level of upper body strength in the first place it does and I would say to dancers thinking of adding that to their portfolio you need a lot more tricep strength than you probably have <laughs> because to be able to to get on a lot of the apparatus you need a lot of tricep strength you need to be able to do a pull-up really easily to get on because to get on with some kind of grace you can you can manage to get on the apparatus but it won't look very nice unless you have good core strength good upper body strength and there are a lot more dancers now trying to add that to the portfolio you can see a lot of dancer intensives 
because they know they've already got some strength, they've got some flexibility. So you can do, I think they're about two weeks long, specifically for professional dancers to do that. And then they can add it onto their portfolio, do corporate events, etc. But that's, that's, yeah. that's good to know, actually. I didn't actually know that they did dancer intensive. That, that's, mm. that's, uh, and obviously that's with, you know, well-trained personnel that will teach you how to do this safely and effectively and yeah, better absolutely. than somebody just, you know, a dancer giving it a try because it looks easy. But I noticed that it is, it is factored into a few university dance courses as well, like, you know, circus skills is put in there. I think, I think there's Yeah, I think, I can't it. remember which, which uh, university in Liverpool. Edge Hill. I know Edge Hill yeah. do um, incorporate, they've got the rigging up in there. It's quite an impressive little setup. They say little, quite an impressive setup. <laughs> it's quite extensive. Um, but no, no, it's good. It's good to know. I think, I think people, I, I do see dancers wanting to get into the, you know, expand their horizons into that. And it's interesting you say, look, if you're going to do this, you need some tricep strength. Like, yeah. And I say that from experience as well. I started training in aerial hoop, thought I was pretty strong yeah. and then realized, Oh, hang on. No, I'm not strong enough for this specific activity. And interestingly in my MSc research, the tricep EMG was barely there. That muscle was barely doing anything in the mm -hmm. dancers and you need that muscle for aerial. So, yeah. yeah, I know I mean, from experience, I, I, you're probably not strong. I, I think about some silly little uh, kind of anecdotes from the world of, of bodybuilding. People said, you know, often said, like, if you, wanted, if you wanted to have a good looking arm, you needed to work on your triceps and not your biceps because they made, because those three muscle heads kind of made up a lot more than people thought, which I think is actually, you know, a similar kind of thing. Um, they're, they're perhaps like easily neglected. Hmm. Um, and certainly when I think about um, the way in which traditional forms of ballet, you know, they rely, the males rely on being able to press, press out and lock out their arms. So it kind of, kind of makes sense to me. So that's, I mean, that's interesting. Does, does, is this something that you would um, encourage your students to look at that are perhaps on dance courses or dance science courses where you work is it something is it or do you give them a broad spectrum of things to to study and is there, is there lots of scope out there i mean what do dance science students tend to opt for or is it a is it quite you, a big picture do you mean in terms of strength training or just in general like i mean do, do, what, what are the what are the current hot topics that people want to want to pick to study if they can pick or what what do people what are people interested in well, if I think about dissertation topics, because when in the universities I work in, when you learn dance science, it's quite broad. So mm. I teach across the whole spectrum of dance science. So nutrition, psychology, biomechanics, physiology, everything is covered. So they can't, in terms of learning, pick a specific topic. But when they get to their dissertation, obviously they have choice. Um, I find we have a lot on psychology and recently psychology of injury so is there enough psychological support in terms of going through injury and actually being prepared for an injury as well um and, with, and a lot on nutrition interestingly i so get a couple are... on strength 
probably, but mainly it comes up in psychology and nutrition are the areas that people are really interested in. Do people feel like strength is kind of covered? Like the bases are covered? Because, I mean, if we talk about the development of dance science, then it's probably brought in physiologists and biome biomechanists and S&C coaches up to date, up to the current date, than it has other aspects in terms of the balance. So, and you know, like injury perspectives, we've involved a lot of MSK studies in dance. Is it because that the body of research isn't as significant in those areas, or is it because those are the areas that are probably the most crucial, you know, going forward? I think a lot of it for undergrad students comes from their own experience. That's what prompts them to pick a subject. And I think you probably find that at MSC level as well. If someone's been injured, that's the bit they're interested in and what's the, their experience around it. But I'm not sure why actually, why they are not so interested in strength and fitness, whether they feel they have enough knowledge of it, albeit quite possibly from unreliable sources. Um, it, I would argue, I might argue that that's where the injury prevalence comes from, hmm. essentially inadequate or poor information regarding strength and conditioning. Um, but having said that, when we, when we think of dancers, we often think about the, the, the psychological and nutritional impacts and, and how it all ties together. And, and, and but I'm sure this, the education process goes, you're, if you're teaching across a broad, broad spectrum, it's kind of, you've, you've got to tell them it's multifactorial, right? And they still, you know, it's, it's, so I'm wondering if, or that's my, that was where my question was coming from really is, is, is it to do with our own personal experiences or is it because something's particularly like a sexy topic or, or is it because something's under research? That was kind of what I was, what I think is interesting in terms of the psychology aspects that are, are delivered. What, what do they include in, in terms of a, a dance science study? Um, obviously psychology is a massive field. Um, to be honest, uh, second year, at one of the universities, I normally bring in a guest lecturer who has far deeper knowledge in psychology than I do um, to make sure they do get that expertise. But it normally covers stress, anxiety, motivation, motivational climate, so that they understand in themselves what are these symptoms that I'm noticing, cognitive, physiological symptoms. Okay, that's actually normal and useful in physiological arousal to help with my performance. Um, and then also understanding the climate they're in when they go into the studio and being able to identify whether they're ego orientated, task orientated, what's healthy for them. And if they're then going to go on and be a teacher, that's crucially important for them to create a good atmosphere for their dance students to work in. So they're the main areas we focus on. And I do find third year students who pick a dissertation will actually go off into a multitude of theories that we haven't covered because they're that interested they'll go and research all sorts of different theories um we'll talk about self-determination theory as well so i mean that kind of brings me neatly to the the university setting and the the dance science research aspect i mean i'm sure you intermingle with a variety of people doing lots of different studies within dance science i mean is there anything in particular that's been recently to you or anything that's popped up into into your mind that you thought mm, that's new that's interesting 
you know, where would you, where, where are you up to in your, your discovery as, as the, as the research goes on? Cause I know, I know you're, I know we were going to talk about, we're going to talk about things like safe dance practice and I know we're not in the studio at the moment, but we're soon to be, hopefully fingers crossed, you know, September, I say soon, it's going to be around then. But are there any other topics at the moment that sort of take your interest that perhaps aren't your field of research? Um, to be honest, I've been so busy reading things in my area because I'm doing my research at the moment. I haven't had that much chance to look at things outside of, of my area of research. But I, what is interesting actually to me is how many studies are coming up in different dance genres. So we know there's a lot of research in ballet and contemporary. And I find it really interesting. I've seen a few MSc projects from this year pop up asking for participants at the moment in Katak. We've seen projects in Bharatanatyam, Crump, Breaking, um, Swing Dancing, Irish Dancing. And I find that really interesting and really exciting that people are taking the research that's there and say, actually, how does this apply in my dance genre as well so we can broaden what we're looking at rather than just ballet and contemporary I mean, that, that's kind of fascinating really isn't it because that's been the complaint i think for a long time not complaint complaint's a strong word but <laughs> that's been certainly something that people have discussed is look all this research is specific is very very closed off it's in very certain groups or with certain types of dancer and dance isn't closed off it's very so it could be whatever you want it to be, really, because it's all movement, isn't it? So it's good to, I guess it's good, it's, reduce, it's a hugely positive thing if there's projects coming through in other genres. Hmm. I think it's interesting, just in general dance conversation, I was thinking yesterday about the return to the studio and how a lot of the information I've seen so far has been about spacing for centre work and spacing at the bar, and can we do a ballet bar, and the um, cardiovascular activity and breathing and everything else in the studio but I haven't seen that much about floor work can we do release technique can we do Graham technique where we're in contact a lot more with the floor than just our feet partner dancing Latin swing ballroom they can't go back because they need to dance with their partner you can do solo but you can't do partner work so even in the conversation I feel we quite often easily if maybe not intentionally leave out some of these dance genres that actually there are a few more considerations we should be thinking about in the return to the studio yeah I mean eventually there, uh, the contact work is, is across lots of different genres isn't it but mm. um, so obviously you've been looking into how things get back to you know as close to normal as possible I caught a dead to use the word normal but um where are your sort of have you been training have you been giving people advice about how you know some maybe some students about how to keep themselves going or has it mainly been your focus surrounding how can things go back to the studio safely um where do we start really i guess this is going to be my question <laughs> i suppose it's a bit of both because it's going to be a bit of both for a while even if we go back to the studio we're not going to transfer 100% back to the studio immediately. It's just not going to happen. So it's a little bit of both. I mean, I've made a video for students about how to set up their space at home so they can be safe. But even in my own situation, I don't have much space to dance. And I find 
I'm lacking flow in my dance. I can't concentrate on just dancing because I'm constantly thinking, oh, I'm about to hit the worktop or I'm about to kick something. So it loses something for me in that way. Um, so obviously some people have, have, have put suggestions forward and said, you can jump if your floor's right or don't jump at all because I don't know what your surroundings are. You can turn a bit, but, or I don't want you to turn. And it can be quite black and white. And I understand that people would say, don't do something just to avoid your risk. Mm. That, is that realistic? Because, you know, you do see people that maybe aren't in a class setting, aren't on Zoom, and they're trying things in the garden. There's not a lot you can say because it's in their own time. So what kind of is the, is the statutory advice to say, look, we're not going to do any jumping. We're not going to do any point work. Or is, is there a way that things can be done safely for now? Or is it just a case of being mindful? Yeah, I think it's difficult. I was thinking about this um, with developers as I was watching some students and there was a fireplace really close to someone's foot. And I thought, do we just say stop at 45 degrees so that we're avoiding it? But then you've got the dancers, perfectionism and drive and determination. I want to do it well. So even if you say it, are they going to do it anyway? Because maybe not in the class, but maybe later. So it's really difficult because like you say, you can, you can say things to them when you're there with them, but you can't stop them doing things the rest of the time unless you educate them on why it's safer to not do it or to adapt it. So yeah, it's a bit, it's not black and white. You've got to modify as you go along, I think. Yeah. As well. And I think it's, it's trusting and empower, empowering the dancers to know what to adjust. So rather than us saying, do this or don't do this, giving them the information, the rounded information of empowering them to make the decision safely for themselves. But having been thrown in to this situation, do they, do they have enough information to make are there, aspect, are there any aspects of this lockdown and be, having to dance on, at home and dance at Zoom that are positive, would you say? Are there any sort of outcomes that potentially think, oh, that's actually played to that person's advantage at all in because I don't know maybe they can do a bit more SNC I don't know <laughs> no there, there definitely are some benefits it for some people who maybe don't feel as confident when they're in the studio maybe people who are a bit shyer or um they're able to focus a little bit more by being at home on their own so actually they make greater gains in terms of technique while they're at home because they feel more confident in being able to do it. And depending on the teacher, you can get some really good feedback on Zoom individually as people are watching in 2D, but um, some individual feedback. I've seen really good feedback from dance teachers to individuals on the screen. And then, yeah, being able to train, condition, to be able to do better movements when they go back to the studio. The only thing is, something actually I wanted to bring up is, um, I don't know if you've noticed the same, in terms of conditioning at home, I've noticed a greater focus on core conditioning and hip training. Those are the two things most people want to do. But if you try and give them a lower body workout, it's not so interesting, or an upper body workout. Mm. Is that, is that through fear of not getting enough stimulus? 
you think is that is that through the workloads being low lowered because we're at home and their desire to feel like they've got done their desire to feel knackered yeah I, and i think that's not just in dance is it it's people want to come out of a class quaking at the knees thinking yes i've worked really hard or i always liken it to bridget jones falling off the bike hmm. that's how they want to feel after their workout to know they've, they've worked when actually you don't have to feel like that for your muscles to have worked sufficiently so i think there's a little bit of that um and a bit of i want to make sure i have a six pack when i come back um whether that's why i'm not sure but i notice that they're the two things that people most want to do um i know you do a lot of lower yeah, body workouts I, I, things prepping I mean, for jumps but I, I i talk a lot about um the jumping aspect because it's the in, to just give you my philosophy on this is it's with the populations that i work with it's the place that they're most likely to get injured mm. when they return is through um impacts that they haven't been doing yeah so i've been trying to find ways to make sure that people maintain some tolerance to repeated actions like jumping so just working on tendon health throughout this period i think has been a big topic of mine and i I would I would like to say that the people I work with have been quite accepting of that. Um, and they've got quite a full on timetable as it is. So I think if I gave them, I think if I gave them a, a hit workout to do from me and I was watching them, they wouldn't enjoy that anyway. If I give them like a 20 minute core blast to, or whatever you want to call it to go and do, they'll happily go and do that in their own time in the sun just to be outside. Mm. And, and, and in that perspective, I don't mind. But it's not when they do SNC with me, it's right, we're going to do some split squat holds, we're going to do some calf holds, we're going to do things that, that place load through your tendons, because those are the things I'm worried about when you get back. If you want to do a core workout, I'm not going to stop you. Here's what I would do don't pick something from seven minute abs because I, that doesn't exist. And because, you know, I would like it to still be elicit some decent effect. So, I don't, I don't, but the biggest one that I've, I've request that I've had in terms of things is to do with now that we're in lockdown, I want to increase my flexibility. Uh, so in a, in a similar way to yourself, it's like the gimmick one is the one that people have wanted. Mm. Um, and I, I've tried to attack that from, do you know what? Actually, I think people come out of lockdown more flexible anyway, because I don't think they'll be as tired. And the body's probably more happy to go into certain positions than it was. That's just my, that's just my opinion. But I don't, I agree with you. I, I I do agree with you. And so, what would you, what have been your recommendations, or what would be your recommendations to kind of steer people away from just doing hit training all the time? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. Well, it's coming back to education, which is partially why I also started my YouTube channel because. I don't want people to just go and pick a random workout from YouTube that is all well and good on its own standalone, obviously checking who's teaching it, but how it fits into a program that actually gets you towards your dance goals is questionable. So it's educating people on actually, if you want to get to your goals, you need to plan your training out carefully, preferably with a professional that progressively increases helps you to develop your strength, your flexibility, whatever your goal is in a progressive 
way rather than just randomly picking different workouts to do every week that aren't going to progress you and aren't actually going to get you to reach your goal so it's partially around education of how yeah how to reach your goals by good planning of training rather than random things which is difficult and it's it's ongoing um yeah so this is part of the reason why this question this answer is a little bit woolly is because it's part of my research i'm trying to find out mm. what are people's perceptions of strength training do they think it's important for dance are they taking part in it if they're not taking part in it why aren't they taking part in it do they think it's not important do they not have good enough knowledge of how to do it do they not know who to ask for help yeah it's kind of putting it out there that the strength training process has a beginning and it has tailored points throughout it it isn't random hmm. and i think people go if, even if people go to the gym the workouts that they select are quite random yeah um and it comes back to the the rationales behind strength training an interesting conversation i have a lot of is that and i'm sure you may have this with your with some of your students initially early on is that there are different types of strength training and they don't all elicit the same effect you can mm. use a, a you can use a, a weight in one way that will make your muscles grow and you can use a weight in another way that won't make your muscles grow and has more uh central nervous system effects or muscle activation effects or you know firing rate and, and motor pattern skills and things like that that are all part of strength training is that something that you're trying to push out there via the youtube channel eventually is to say that the yeah i think if you say strength training there's still some confusion of of what that is it, do they think i'm suddenly going to have huge massive muscles and i'm not going to look like a dancer no one can see my my air quotes for that um but i think we heard them <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think there's some misunderstanding of what is strength training so trying to educate people and actually there are different ways that you can train depending again on what your goal is what's the point in doing random training or not if you don't understand what your aim is so if you know what your end goal is then you can select the right exercises the right method of strength training to help you reach that goal just a reminder that you're listening to the science in dance podcast this is episode 11 with claire farmer as ever leave your comments and um give us a like below let us know your thoughts and give us some feedback and also check out previous episodes with other strength coaches and other dance science practitioners as well as our life as a pro series where we're up to episode two in that series at the moment our first episode was with gina scott of semperopa in dresden and our second life as a pro episode was with katie deacon who is a west end performer um, and she originally trained as a ballerina and then went on to work in the west end here's part two and i think that's definitely some information that's missing and what? it's going to take a while 
what's yeah. kind of your initial question then? If somebody comes to you and says, I want to be stronger, where do you, where would you start? Where do you start in terms of helping people understand even what they're asking? <laughs> um, I would probably ask them more about their dance genre, circus genre, whatever it is that they do and try and find out what is it, which area of their performance is it that they want to improve? Are they not very good at jumps? Are their pirouettes a little bit wobbly? What, when they say stronger, what's the actual action or thing that they want to be able to do at the end? It's almost, I'm quite interested in, in functional fitness. It's all well and good being able to lift a weight, but if you can't do the movement that you want to do at the end, then how was lifting that weight useful? Because you have the kind of you have the skill acquisition fanatics, don't you? Who would argue? Who do argue? A very good point for if you want to get better at driving a car, you need to drive a car, and therefore, lifting a weight doesn't necessarily make you better at sprinting or better at doing pirouettes or better at mm. better at this. So, it comes down to again another question surrounding specificity, and I kind of wanted to get your take on on this and ask. Strength training obviously helps. We know it does up until a point. But would you also be expecting the dancer or the athlete to be, still be practicing the skill to utilize that improvement in the strength? What, what's your, yeah, is that, is I, think that, I, I did an Instagram post, I think about this a couple of days ago of specificity that exactly like you say, you can just do the skill. So this is actually in the research, we know that dance class on its own doesn't put enough demand on your physiological systems to increase, for example, strengths. So if you're just practicing dancing, you're not going to get stronger. Then comes the question, do they need to get stronger? Whole other question. But then if you're just strength training and not practicing your skill, then how is it applied? How is it going to help you do um, the thing that you want to do at the end, dancing, trapeze, whatever it is, um, and actually, <laughs> slight side note, but I'm reading a book um, about climbing up K2 in Pakistan. And he said in his training, he can go for runs. He can go and lift weights at the gym. All these things he does to help his training so he's stronger, so he can rock climb. His legs are stronger so that he can climb up the mountain. But his training needs to include going up mountains. You can't train to go up a mountain by staying on flat ground and just working those things. You need to actually practice the thing that you're training for. So I feel the same thing applies to dance. You need to train both things so you can apply the strength training you've done in the gym or wherever you're training and put it into practice in your dance specific skills. But and I, I know we all say this as well, this doesn't mean lifting weights while you're standing in point shoes that Absolutely. is not the same thing that's what i was about to say and i have this love-hate relationship with the word supplemental um because what we are talking about is supplemental training but the relevance of the supplemental training has to be that it's still necessary but it won't directly impact developer height unless you are in the studio practicing your devil bay height hmm. that's a classic one isn't it um but you mentioned you know a little stab there into the into the sort of instagram world of 
doing wearing point shoes and lifting a weight um we're still battling some trends aren't we we're still battling some you know almost dangerous practices within strength training for dancers occasionally we'll see people doing things like that do you feel like it's still as prevalent as it was or do you feel people are becoming more educated do we need to do more i think well we can always do more (laughs) um I don't know, I think, I feel like, but this is only really from my perceptions, so take it with a pinch of salt, but I feel like people are starting to question more of what they see on Instagram now. And I think we see a little bit of it in the news this week with the comments from, um, I forget forget which Russian ballerina it was, um, talking about how Instagram is ruining young dancers because their expectations of what they should be able to do are driven by what they see on Instagram. And we've talked a lot and also in circus about the trend of oversplits on social media. And should we actually say, no, don't do that. Or actually, if you really want to achieve that, here's the safe way to do it. Um, so I feel like people are questioning a little bit more, actually, what I see on Instagram, is that safe? There's always going to be people that see that and go, oh, I want to be able to do that and then try and do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sit on the fence on purpose. and Because <laughs> uh, it's something somebody said to me a while ago, which was, okay, so you're not a fan of BOSU ball training. And I think I've kind of built, accidentally built a reputation for myself here. Um, and people now do send me pictures of people on BOSU balls and they're going, Rupert, what do you think of this? Like, I'm like, okay, look, like, hang on a second. Like, when I comment, it's because I've got context. And that's because ages ago, I remember sending a picture to a, a coach that I admire. And I was, it was a picture of Gareth Bale from Real, who was at, who was at Real Madrid football club. And he was doing some knee rehab and he was stood on a BOSU ball. And I was like, well, I thought we all talked about this BOSU ball thing as being like negative and we shouldn't do it. And he was like, you are literally doing the SNC version of judging a book by its cover. He's like, you've got no context as to why they've used that. You know, if he has a significant instability, if he can't do something on a hard surface, if he's trying to add variability to his initial rehab protocol, then some unstable surface training may be suitable. Um, but I think when, uh, when I kind of go at the a bit like what you were saying with doing point work and lifting a weight, where I go out, get or get off with the BOSU ball thing is people doing ballet on a BOSU ball or doing like parts of class. Like I understand the rehabilitation and the potential strength training benefits of doing some unstable surface training, but taking your whole 30 minute bar on a BOSU ball isn't quite what I had in mind. So I think people have now think that I just hate BOSU balls, period. I don't. And I hate wobble boards. And people, I come into my studio and they're like, oh, there's a wobble board, Rupert. But I thought you said you hated those. I'm like, no, 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 I don't hate them. It's what people do on them. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the, there are many good tools for training, but methodology and how it's used and how it's applied, again, is probably the most Im- influential thing. Yeah. I think like you say it's all about context and that's the problem with social media and and things like instagram and twitter as well where actually 
the information is very minimal. So how much context can you provide? So if you see an exercise out of context and go, oh, look, that exercise is good. I'm going to do that. That's wherein the problem lies is that they don't understand how it fits into a training program. And that person may have it within a broader training program. And therefore it is a legitimate exercise that is useful for them, but is it useful for you? So yeah, there needs to be context to what they're seeing and how it applies. Again, I suppose it comes back to specificity. Does it fit what you need? It fits that person, but does it, does it necessarily fit what you need for your body and what you're training for? So would you, when you've trained dancers, when you've done some S&C, would you say that you err on the kind of general preparation, preparatory phase of training more than the specific? It's interesting you should say that because I was thinking about this yesterday. <laughs> in the context of teaching conditioning classes to groups of students, yes, it tends to, and this is only... I've only just started implementing it as well. So we were at general preparation phase. So we were still sticking to basics of squats, split squats. We were beginning to work towards power and it was, it was quite general. Um, but if you are able to have more one-to-one -one time with people, then you can delve into the, to the more specific areas as well. Um, depends really on resources and time and, what you've got available. I feel like if you do the general preparation, they've at least got a stable base to start from. And, and I hear this throughout lots of different strength and conditioning coaches that you have to earn the right to progress to the next bit. So it's no good diving into the specific bit before you've done the preparatory work. The same as you learn to do your plies before you learn to jump. You learn to tondu before you learn to batmon. Everything needs the strong base to start from. Classic progression, regression. Exactly. And I'm, and I'm going to steal a soundbite or a quote from, from our friend Nico's podcast because <laughs> prior to this, um, uh, to do with training age. And, you know, despite somebody being a very, very skilled dancer or even circus performer who probably is very strong in their bubble, what is their training age is obviously really really important and it, you'd be surprised how easily you can make a dancer sore from strength training despite all the different movement that they do mm. and I always find that quite interesting is like I, I, I wanted your take on this is do you think it's quite easy to push a dancer into an overuse overtraining category if they haven't got enough S&C background yeah I think it's a, it's a fine line to toe really between am I pushing them hard enough and how much is too much because you will get dancers who you do some squats with them and they say my legs hurt am i doing it wrong and you check their technique and they're not doing it wrong and then you start to question is that pain or is it muscle soreness and can they identify between muscles working and then pain that is related to being out of alignment to poor technique and it, so it's difficult because you are relying as well on the dancer's perception of how hard they're working. So, yeah, I think it, it, it could be easy to push them a little bit too hard. Um, particularly if they're using muscle, different muscle groups maybe than they're used to using or in different movement patterns. 
and that it's just unfamiliar and so what they feel feels wrong almost um so yeah i have looked at i i quite often use rate of perceived exertion with the students like i say right okay on this scale how are you feeling at the moment so i can gauge because dancers are great at making it look like it's not hard work and then you ask them and they're like no no i'm 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 at like 20. <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, if you were at 20, you'd be lying on the floor. <laughs> so, I mean, just for people that perhaps haven't used rate of perceived exertion tools before or any kind of training load monitoring, because it's becoming quite the buzzword. And well, I say it's becoming quite the buzzword. We've been obsessed with training load now for six or seven years within sports science, I think, and various markers of it. And it's beginning to, it's taking, taking off within, within ballet, certainly. Um, do you think the scope for using it in part-time dance and safe dance practice, would you, you know, if we think about safe dance practice, is it appropriate for a teacher to actually be monitoring some training load in a very simplistic way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we use it um, actually quite often because we use it in our fitness testing. So if you're doing the dance aerobic fitness test, we use it at Middlesex. Um, we have um, the dance fitness indicator, which um, one of our lecturers developed, and we use um, rate of perceived exertion for that. So it's something the dancers have become used to hearing us talk about. And it's not used in technique at the moment, but maybe it would be useful so you know how hard they're working and maybe i don't know i mean maybe that makes them more committed to working hard in their class because oh actually i need to think about am i giving it my all today am i am i working to my best ability maybe it encourages a bit of internal thought as well of actually am i focused in the studio or is my mind off thinking about my essay i've got to write or something else I mean, I, I like to talk about coaching practice quite a lot and I, and I do like the word, the, well, I like what it evokes, the word pedagogy, I don't often use that word, but like, I mean, and there are a couple of sort of dance pedagogy d degrees popping up here and there, you know, the RAD and uh, the ISTD, I think, push, you know, dance pedagogy uh, courses. And obviously, that's similar to a teaching course. I mean, do you see more dance science becoming prevalent in courses like that? You know, is it important now? In the same way, we've encouraged sports coaches to embrace sports science and the use of a sports scientist or sports science practices. Do you see it at grassroots and teaching qualifications having more influx from the dance science world? Yeah, I think, and I think it's definitely already happening because I know that teaching qualifications now are including this information. So you've got a whole raft of dance teachers going out into those communities with that knowledge and taking it into the studio with them. And even the universities I teach at, so I teach dance science, but the way I teach and the way the rest of the staff work is that everything interweaves with each other. So what I say when I'm teaching them in their class with me, infiltrates into what they hear from their teacher in the studio as well and I think that can definitely happen at grassroots level as well if they're empowered with that knowledge as well they can start to implement it and so by the time they get to um, vocational training university training 
it's information they've already heard and it travels with them. And I think the Royal Ballet School is a good example of that. If they're, they're hearing it at the school, then when they get to the company, it's, it's already ingrained in them as dancers. I also like the idea that obviously people don't necessarily end up in professional dance all the time, but also people don't necessarily end up in professional dance in this country. And other mm. countries may not be as developed in terms of dance science as perhaps the UK or the US and the likes. And I think if they've come from a background of support networks that include physio, sports psych, or you know performance psychology, or um, dance science, strength and conditioning, sports nutrition, etc., then maybe they're when they get somewhere else they'll demand it. And therefore, the you know the companies or cruise ships or hotels might say, you know, what, actually we do need a physio. Can't just like you know, we we'll probably save ourselves some money if we can keep our dancers healthy. Like, I would like to think it works that way too. Mm. Um, whereas people get somewhere and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, or they're going, they turn up on the first day and they go, so where's the physio room? And the <laughs> and the and the company manager's going, oh we don't, you know, we don't have one. Damn. Like, I would love. I hope that that's mm. what happens. Um, yeah, I have heard stories of a couple of dancers who felt empowered enough with knowledge to say to their rehearsal director, that movement you've just asked me to do is particularly difficult, dangerous. If we try it and they drop me and I get injured, we have a show in two days and I won't be able to do that show. And they felt confident enough to say that because they, they had more knowledge of how they should be training, how they should be looking after their body and challenged what was being asked of them. Now, I don't think that's massively common yet but it'd be great if that was happening more that that people felt actually my body is worth this much to me that I'm going to say where's the physio where's this where's the support to help me hmm. so in terms of like where the UK dance science or say I say national dance science really is is heading um obviously amidst the pandemic and things like that you know, there's not a lot of places that people can't necessarily complete their research projects, but there is, there is research still coming out. People are producing some good work or across the, across the board. Do you have a scope to go down the, the PhD route? Is that something, you know, are you going to get to that eventually? Or are you, what are your kind of ambitions for dance science? Like where do you see it going next in general and for yourself? Oh, where do I see dance science going? That's a big question. <laughs> but I have to say, since I did my MSc, I feel like the field has tripled in size. The last few years, it's grown so quickly, so much more interest in it. It's included in more dance degrees, more places now. So I think it's definitely expanding, which is great. Um, I am attempting to get enough research out to do a PhD by publication. Um, one benefit of lockdown for me is I had time to actually finish writing up my manuscripts, um, which in amongst teaching is not possible. But as you say, some research, one of my studies can't go ahead until at least next year now. Um, but there is still potential for other research to happen and potentially some interesting research about the impact of quarantine on dancers. So there's a, there's a whole area of research there. Um, where 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 does it go this is a good question i mean it's difficult to it, even it, see where it's difficult it to go anywhere 
<laughs> it's difficult to even see where we'll be heading next. Um, but I, I guess that's an interesting thought, actually. Will we be, will, let, will the literature reflect this lockdown? You know, will we be taking other considerations that aren't just necessarily physiological uh, and biomechanical and things like that? And will we be looking at more potentially external factors to do with health within dance and, and maintaining across sports science and medicine we might be looking at coping with bigger pandemics and how the impact that has on sport and dance that would be a really really interesting thing to to read um just to kind of touch on um the the, the research you're doing via publication could you kind of give us a brief breakdown on what some of those studies look like in terms of their setup or is that is it exclusive knowledge at the moment in terms of their setup or just in terms of like methodology like what 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 are you what is it what are the questions what are you using to try and find out what are some outcome measures for you um it's difficult to say because my methodologies are in flux because of the the way that research works is obviously i've done my first uh, paper which is hopefully going to be off for publication soon um, which was mainly a survey just to get an idea of perceptions of strength in dance so I know what am I working with to start with so as I said my interest is in upper body strength so I want to start looking at how strong are dancers so it's going to be some physiological biomechanical testing of some description um, to eventually towards the end of all the studies go into how does that apply in the dance studio and how does that impact performance aesthetics etc so it's a it's kind of a long journey from what do we think about strength to actually how do we apply it in a dance this is quite this is quite meaningful then because i it's uh, again something i brought up with with on other pod podcasts is the the observational cross-sectional aspects of dance research has been how many injuries do people get what sites are they on the body what what does the body go through when people do dance whether it's to do with uh, aerobic capacity, respiratory, whatever. Um, but you actually want to try and figure out something that impacts performance? Mm. So, um, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing to say as a strength coach that at the moment we say dancers are not stronger than their athletic counterparts or even general population. Therefore, we must strength train. Hurrah. <laughs> but my question is, do we need to? It's a controversial question because there is obviously this is not thinking about stability of joints and hypermobility, etc. But mm. do we need to significantly increase our strength? Because does that have an impact on our performance at the end? Or actually are we better served using our time doing something else? But we can't answer that question until somebody asks the question and researches it. So that that was actually what instigated me thinking about this research to start with is Saying somebody's not strong enough and therefore you should strength train is a bit broad. Yeah, it doesn't really dangle the carrot, that does it? <laughs> so I really wanted to delve into, okay, how strong are people? What are the, do we need more strength to do the dance movements we're doing? And if so, what should we be doing? Mm. So it, it's applied and it has an outcome of how does that actually impact my performance, which is what we're interested in. 
I think it is what we're absolutely, you know, we want to make sure that whatever intervention we have as you know, is reflected in performance. And I think in sport, that's really clear. You know, if somebody can complete a change of direction task better in closed conditions, then the chances are that they've got a better physiological capabilities to perform an agility skill on the field, etc. We don't really have those boundaries. But it's also, I think, and I, I, I think I tweeted about this yesterday, is, 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 is why we're actually doing S&C in dance. Is, it, it's so fascinating because we don't have, it's all subjective, we don't have these outcomes of goals scored, tackles made. And it's just full of, I, I use the word problems loosely, it has all these questions that need answering that are almost, could potentially be impossible to answer mm-hmm. because of how create it's a creative creative art so you've got like the micro study that looks at will this training intervention at the ankle improve somebody's jeté height which you and i know that Paige rice has, has done um all the way up to the more and, and that is a performance outcome you know can we improve you know jeté performance from some just tra- a small training study all the way up to well does that matter because it's the, all those training studies could completely be sort of non and void, like not important, not applicable, if it doesn't matter. And it's answering those questions of, is it important? Yeah. <laughs> and as always, there's, there's, as an SNC coach, I often feel that there's uh, such a, an importance to justify your own position. Mm. The interesting thing, actually, about the example you just gave is I don't even feel like there would be. A, a yes or no to is it important because in some cases it might be if you want to do an entrechat being in the air for longer great but in another piece of choreography no it might not matter so much that you can't jump that high it depends why you want to be in the air for longer and if it's useful so for some pieces of choreography it might be useful for others it might not for some dancers it may be useful for others it might not so I'd, it's not as simple, like you say, is like, if you do this, you can sprint your 100 meters faster. No one's going to say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to win the gold. So it's, yeah, it's not as black and white as some things. I have a couple of questions written that I've just written down regarding people that are in the world of dance and want to know more about dance science to sort of improve their own knowledge. Perhaps they're not on a dance science course and perhaps they're, a young professional or studying dance somewhere but want to build a rapport with dance science and learn more about it would you say it's a particularly is it an easy field for people to get into would you say that people have got to, or have they got to brush up their sport and exercise science knowledge first like how would you would you recommend that you know aspiring dancers tackle the dance science conundrum is it something they should just read about or should they attend something or who should they speak to? Good question. I think, like I said, dance science is so broad. You could, you may not know which area of dance science you're interested in. So people begin the MSc dance science thinking they want to learn about physiology and it turns out they're really interested in psychology. So you might not know specifically which area you're interested in. So reading is a good start. All the the iAdams information sheets, the One Dance UK resource sheets, 
research papers, books, there's more and more dance science books that are available and actually quite accessible to read now. But I would also say, partly because dance science is such a small community, it's extremely friendly. <laughs> and everybody pretty much knows everybody else. So getting yourself to a networking event, joining the dance science study Facebook group, starting to talk to people that are in dance science already, I think is really helpful to hear about people's experience. And that's the thing I encourage all our dance students to do. The best tool for anything actually is networking. And if you get past that initial fear of the first person you speak to, it gets easier because that person introduces you to somebody else, to somebody else. And you can start hearing different people's experiences, different people's expertise, and then you might discover which bit of dance science you're interested in. So I think it's a combination of both. It's a bit of reading and it's talking to people as well. I'm also going to do a bit of shameless sponsorship for you. I mean, a good place, people might want to start with your YouTube page as well. <laughs> Thank you. There will be more on there shortly. So just to kind of like wrap that up, where, if people wanted to get in touch with you and ask you questions about strength training, particularly upper body training or anything really, because I mean, you teach across such a broad spectrum. I mean, I am uh, but a humble S&C coach and I stick in my lane. I try to try my best to anyway, and I deliver dance science, but deliver particularly physiological point of view. So if people wanted to reach out to you, where would be good places for them to, to contact you? Um, well, my website is extremely easy to remember. It's just my name. So it's www.clairefarmer.co.uk, which is nice and easy. So you can contact me through that or um, Instagram or Facebook, which are both CF Performance and Training, because I'm not very good at coming up with catchy titles. <laughs> so either of those is, is great. Or um, I'm always at Dance Science Things. So if you see my name on something, I'm quite happy for people to come and speak to me when we're allowed back out. Awesome. And then what's your, could you, have you got your YouTube handle as well? What's your YouTube page called? You got it? That is a very good question. I'm pretty certain it's the same. <laughs> to double check these things because Absolutely. somebody may have already stolen your name by the time you get to setting it up. And it, and it is quite fresh and new, isn't it? So it's, it's, it is, it's, um, Began during lockdown, but actually had been in the planning since January. Um, so it is just Claire Farmer Performance and Training. Awesome. I'm going to make sure that that's all in, uh, in the episode documents below so people can find those links as well. Claire, it's been, um, it's been a real pleasure. We've, we've touched on so many different topics there. And I think I feel like we need to, we'll, we'll probably have to catch up for a part two and probably discuss more in depth into things that we uh we have discussed before um but thank you very much it's been been really really interesting and uh hopefully more people will undertake tricep strength improvements soon <laughs> Thanks, yeah thank you very much i i do i get very excited and i could talk about everything for an entire day <laughs> there is a lot to talk about but thank you very much it's been lovely to chat about Dance science. <laughs>